Section four of Strangers at Lisconnel by Jane Barlow. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section four. At the time of Dennis O'Meara's arrival, he was darning the widow Joyce's thatch for her, and not killing himself over the job, as people said, when they reckoned how many days he had been visible crawling about on top of her little house, a conspicuous position in which he looked. Mrs. Conryan remarked, A queer a great gawk than he did on dry land. He was occupied thus on the first afternoon that Dennis walked up there with some of the other lads, and while they talked to Mrs. Joyce and Teresa underneath, the thatcher took a leisurely and critical survey of the scarlet and golden newcomer. From his wonderfully polished boots to his sleek dark head and fierce moustache, the verdict he pronounced to himself with unfeigned satisfaction was, Grandeur's no name for him. You himself, of large and lumbering frame, had a shag of reddish flaxen hair, which made thatch-like eaves above his small light blue eyes and high burnt brick-colored cheekbones. He wore whitey-brown rags. After the rest had gone on and in, he slithered down to the ground and told Teresa, who was still standing by the door, that she didn't look the size of a bit of a ladybird beside the soldier fellow. If anybody else had made this personal remark, Teresa might have been a little hurt by it, as she wished herself of more imposing stature. But sure nobody minded poor Hugh McInerney. At any rate, she said, Aye, he's a terrible big man, isn't he? Apt to knock the head off himself he'd be if he was offering to come in at our door. However, on the next day, Dennis contrived to accomplish that feat without any such accident when he called in at the Joyce's to ask, Was his grandmother there? Which she was not, nor indeed likely to be. Failing to find the old woman, he postponed his quest for the present, and stayed talking to Teresa, who, as it happened, was at home. And then he stopped again outside to help Hugh McInerney, by handing him up some rolls of green-sodded scraws and slippery bundles of rushes. His long reach made him serviceable here, though his left arm was still partially disabled by the sabre cut that had invalided him. The gleam of the red coat at the Joyce's door had apparently as fascinating an effect upon Lisconnel as if the place had been inherited by a population that bellowed and gobbled its greetings instead of saying, How's yourself, lad, and it's a grand day, thank God, as it came sauntering up dispersedly from various quarters. Before many minutes had passed, quite a numerous group were collected, for in these long midsummer days there is little to be done up here except save the turf, a business which fine weather makes short work of. In the weeks before the potato digging, employment becomes as scarce as the potatoes themselves, and the hours hang limp and flaccid between the meals which punctuate them with a plate full of coarse-grained gruel. Therefore do Christie Sheridan and Terence Kilfoyle, with half a dozen of their neighbors, the sight of their distinguished visitor was an oasis in a very arid desert, and they made towards it thirstily. By and by the group drifted away from the road before the Joyce's house into the rough sward behind it, rather literally drifted, as the cause of the move was the wind, a strong soft west wind, which had been blowing over the bog all the morning in great wide gusts. They seemed to lean hard against whatever they met, and made standing still an effort, and devastated conversation by carrying off important fragments of it uncaught, no matter how loudly one bawled. But the big boulders and firs clumps strewn about in a slight depression close by offered seats and shelter opportunely. So amongst them presently appeared Dennis O'Meara's scarlet tunic, and Teresa Joyce's brown-striped shawl, and Mrs. Ryan's white-frilled flapping cap, 
which she said was being fluttered to destruction off her old head and you mcinerney's many rifted caubeen for he declared that until the flurry of the blast went down a bit you might as well be letting on to thatch the sails whirling of a windmill and the rest of the company following suit might be described in terms of their attire as for the most part sad-coloured and dilapidated it was just such a gathering as may be sitting to sun themselves at lisconnel this day if it happens to be a fine summer one but with a touch of brilliance both for eye and ear added by the young soldiers presence they had however but fitful gleams to bask in for the sky was all feathered over with little silver-white plumes which the wind kept ruffling by so fast that the light flickered in and out continually as if it had come through a canopy of large slowly waving leaves still they gossiped beneath it with much satisfaction and catechized dennis about his adventures and told him all the news of the countryside and there seemed to be no particular reason why they should not go on doing so indefinitely but in the end broke up the assembly was a slight mishap that befell theresa joyce it cannot be denied that theresa was rather vain about her long black hair which she had only of late begun to put up in thick silken coils her mother said you had to take your two hands to a one of them like as if you were twisting a big sagon that is a hay-rope and they looked almost too heavy for her small head no matter how closely they were wound about it a rippling wave moreover ran through these tresses which were exceedingly soft and fine so her vanity was perhaps excusable at any rate it led her to fashion herself a small knot of cherry-coloured ribbon made of a bit that had trimmed the sleeve of her mother's purple merino gown it was a very small knot because most of the bit had gone mildewed lying up there before theresa grew to concern herself about such things but it looked as bright in her hair as a ruddy berry on a dark foliaged creeper and she wore it with a pleasure which was destined to be brief for as she sat knitting with the quietly creeping fingers of an expert in that art a vagrant gust maliciously whisked off her little gaud and tossing it contumeliously on the ground as if it were not worth carrying began to puff it along skimming over the heather and tussocks dennis o'meara all but rescued it for her only that hugh mcinerney the omadon starting forward at the same time blundered up against him and tumbled with him into a furze bush and before they picked themselves up the cherry-coloured knot had met its fate in the shape of ryan's black-and-white kid she was tethered close by and had been apparently absorbed in scratching her forehead with her left hind foot in a way that said much for the limberness of her youthful joints but as the bit of ribbon flirted past her she made a rapid snatch and swallowed it in a gulp mrs ryan stood dismayed at possible serious consequences to the kid and theresa at the certain loss of her scrap of finery and everybody else was saying to hugh mcinerney och you great omadon why couldn't you keep yourself easy he had it safe enough only for you getting under his feet everybody that is except dennis o'meara who said sure now the both of us wasn't mindin rightly where we was chargin to and the reason of that belike was the neither of us thinkin so much of what was runnin after as of who we was runnin for and small blame to us bedad but hugh's self-esteem was not restored by the good-natured excuse truth it is i'd a right to had stead quiet for the only notion i had was puttin meself forward to be gettin a hold of it before any of the others and he walked off crestfallen to resume his perch on the thatch as for theresa she ignored dennis's pretty speech and said deed now she remembered her mother had bid her step up and see what way audie rafferty's aunt was that morning 
and she too withdrew from the group to make this visit of inquiry as she passed on her way under the place where you was thatching he dropped a small handful of rushes on her head to call her attention and when she looked up she saw his red brick hued face in a wild tow-coloured halo peering down at her from over the eaves i am sorry i lost it on you he said ah no matter about it it wasn't your fault more than another's said teresa you'd a had it now said you if it wasn't for the little goat gettin the chance to eat it while himself was tumblin over me but i'd a leaf have your hair the way it is now it is the blackest ever i seen one might think you'd gather it out of the middles of them red poppies there stick a couple of them in it if you want anything but to my mind it's better without only if you've the fancy to be trying the bit of red string through it i'm sorry it was eight hugh's head drew back and disappeared from her view but next moment she heard him saying mournfully what am i after doing putting me foot that far down a hole it's cost fast between a couple of rafters firm it is begora if i don't mind what i'm at is pullin' the half of their house down and wrenching me angle i'll be before i free myself and she saw him struggling cautiously on the roof all the while she was ascending the slope to Ody rafferty's door within which his aunt was at present a prisoner a reluctant and repining one she was having been seized with a bad attack of lumbago at a time when she felt particularly anxious to keep a vigilant eye upon what occurred in her neighbourhood instead of being left dependent upon hearsay for a knowledge of anything happening outside her four draughty walls many a care-infested hour she fretted away between them for how could she tell with what insidious steps the calamity to ensue from Oddie's courtship of teresa joyce might all the while be stealing on her she dared not confide her fears to any neighbour nor would she have put much faith in the report of observation unwetted thereby and she lived in daily dread of hearing the news announced as no mere conjecture or rumour but as a very hard fact as the days wore on the idea took possession of her more and more completely but she could only wreak her helpless ill-humour by doing foolish and futile things such as dilating to odie upon the imprudence of getting married and the undesirable qualities of black-looking slips of colleen's a simple and ingenious expedient for putting him out of conceit with all and any of them while she assumed towards teresa a demeanour so glum and repellent that the girl could not attribute it entirely to the irritability caused by rheumatic twinges and from one of her charitably intentioned visits returned with a disconcerted expression and a resolve which she kept to pay no more but in fact Oddie was during these weeks even more than usually engrossed by the affairs of the inobtrusive little manufactory which he and felix o'byrne superintended away in a retired part of the bog and not they alone but lisconnel collectively had been going through some excitement on this account this was occasioned by the livelier interest which the police had recently manifested in that branch of home industry stimulated by admonitions from their authorities to the effect that the hunting down of illicit stills and confiscation of the produce might with advantage be carried on more energetically hence had resulted several appearances in lisconnel of the constabulary from ballybrosna and other stations and when these occurred otty was in his element of wiles and stratagems more than once he enjoyed the moment of their visitor's departure on a wild goose chase consaitin they've got us by the hind leg this time for certain and long did he chuckle over the evening when they came and sat discoursing as pleasant and easy as a rabbit in its hole by a hearth where there was enough of the stuff to float a lot of them lying within six inches of their shiny brogues it was however thought expedient 
to guard against a repetition of this perilous entertainment the contraband crocks were transferred to a still more secluded hiding-place in the queer tiny sod and stone shanty with hugh mcinerney who had displayed unexpected strategical ability and presence of mind under the late emergencies now knocked up for himself in a hollow behind the hill so old moggy's fears might have been better employed then about this time too a thrill was caused by the mysterious horseman who visited the o'burns forge one night and got old felix to break open for him an immensely strong small iron box which he carried the same box being found next morning lying empty in the little lisconnel stream beside which the horse a grand big roan was quietly grazing while his rider was nowhere nor was ever after anywhere to be seen an incident which gave scope for infinite speculation at lisconnel all these things happened before oddie's aunt got about again by that time it was well on in august and the season having been hot and dry lisconnel's oat patches were already reflecting as if in a mirror tarnished somewhat and rusted the broad golden blaze that had looked down on them so steadily and people had begun to think about reaping and ryan's fields indeed were so ripe by the day of ballyrosner's big fair that paddy ryan commissioned hugh mcinerney to bring him back a reaping hook from it he was going to attend it on business of his own and Oddy rafferty had some bulkier commissions to execute in behalf of his neighbours but he encountered some difficulties in getting under way due to the inopportune devices of old rory whom he proposed to bring with him Oddy had been careful not to put on his best clothes until he had caught the beast because as he remarked he well knew the creature would be off with himself hiding in the unhandiest place the devil would put in his mind if he noticed ever a decent stitch on him yet despite this precaution when his master went to look for him after breakfast no black pony was in sight and he that'll be foosterin' everywhere under your feet otherwhiles he's that fond of company said oddie's aunt who hobbled out of doors for the first time to assist in the search belike he's seen you rubbin up your brogues and be reason of that he took off with himself bedad now the big old head of him is as full of deceit as it can hold he's a notorious schemer god forgive him oddie said rather sadly for it went against the grain with him to admit defects in rory but his scheming bad fare to prove successful as oddie after long hunting stood baffled at the door with his expedition seemingly frustrated when hugh mcinerney passing by reported that he was after seeing the beast leaning gathered up close again the back of the big stone above there with a contented grin on the old gob of him that'd frighten you with the villainy was in it whereupon the two young men went to dislodge him from his fool's paradise and the three started together without further delay till a short way down the road they met old felix o'byrne and with him dennis o'meara at whose heels followed joe egan ragged and small his habit being to dog his splendid cousin so persistently that old mrs byers next door said she wondered the young chap didn't of an odd while take him be the two shoulders and sling him over the dyke so you're off to the fair said old o'byrne and is it sellin' the pony you to be at last sure now he'll be the pick of the market that's certain ah they'll never give me my price for him the nagers said oddie our captain commander here had a right to take him off of you for a trooper said old o'byrne and fay there wouldn't be his equal in the length and breadth of the army what did you offer for him lad look at the size of the head he has on him and the unnatural white face of him that's fit to scare a regiment before it if there was nothing else is it broke bankrupt you'd have me then said dennis settin up to be buyin meself mounts of that expensive description 
musher good gracious man promise him the first thruppenny bit you meet floatin down the river on a grindstone and you'll be buyin every hair in his tail said the old man but come along and don't be delayin him they're goin after fairins for their sweethearts the way you'd be yourself if you weren't too great a nigger or maybe there isn't anything good enough for her to be had in bolibrosna is that the reason of it little joe was beginning to say in a resentful shout nigger yourself he and i are going to get but dennis pulled him on jocularly by the collar and the parties went their several ways ody then said sweethearts is it he's the queer old man for talkin glory be to the great goodness i'm troubled wid ne'er a one here's out of it says i unnatural says he musha cock him up and himself showin old garones all the days of his life high along rory jewel but you said meditatively and more than half to himself which was rather a habit of his well now for the matter of fairin it's just the best length of ribbon i can get them to give me for a shillin yeller it's to be i wasn't long either plannin away to find out the colour she'd like sure i'd give her a bunch of flowers with poppies in it and daisies and furze blossom and foxglove and forget-me-not and meadow-sweet and says i to her which of them was the finest colour and says she the furze blossom was be reason of it bein the bright gold all over that the others had mostly only a spark of somewheres inside so it's to be yellow tellin you the truth i'd liefer she wouldn't be wearin e'er such a thing at all anyways not in her hair that's a sight purtier just in the big black twists but sure it's the fancy she has and more betoken i think bad o me lettin the little goat swally the weeny bit she had on her i bedad i'd a right to be bringin it to her and at all events i'd be doin a foolish thing to come home without it and me not gettin a bit of fat bacon these six weeks next saturday to make up the price i wonder now what length they'd git me for one shillin but ody who had not been listening only said oracularly och that's accordin which did not materially assist you's speculations yellow ribbons were not plentiful at bolibrosna fair and hugh mcinerney had to ask for them vainly at several stalls before he came to an old clothes cart where the proprietress being hot and cross took him aback by replying and who ever heard tell of sellin ribbons by the length you queer-lookin stacon sure it's meself couldn't say but you might i never had any call to be buyin such a thing before but a bit that one shillin would be the price of is what i'm wishful to be gettin if it was yellow and beggin your pardon ma'am hugh answered with a glib meekness which mollified the old woman as much as his not undesigned mention of his shilling so she said deed now i believe i've a splendid yellow bit somewheres a trifle creased in the folds but i could make you a present of for a shillin and she rummaged and unrolled before her interminable coils of vivid dandelion-hued ribbon the grand colour of it couldn't be bet she said in ireland you could see it a mile off and you wouldn't get the match of it in dublin under half a crown if she wouldn't be pleased with that you've got an odd one to satisfy oddy with rory came by as she was wrapping it up in paper and you pointing to his purchase with a melancholy air said in an aggrieved tone it's a terrible quantity they're about givin me yards and yards enough to rope round a haystack and it's an ogis colour troth now if she takes the notion to be stickin the whole of it on top of her little black head of her it's an object she'll make of herself she will so it's a pity i'd liefer there hadn't been the half of it what for then are you gettin more than enough of whatever it is oddy asked not unreasonably suppose you wanted any such trash at all at all ah sure i settled in me own mind to be spendin me shillin on it and that's the way it is you said resignedly maybe she'll have more wit the bit of a creature she might never put it on so now i've only 
to see after Paddy Ryan's rapin' hook, and then I'm done. And as it is carrying them two bags all the way home, you'd be? Sure there's plenty of room for them on the beast. Aye, is there, said Ody, but the fact is Rory's in none too good a temper this minute. Goodness help him, and he'll be apt to be travelling more content the creature if he sees he's not the only body with a loadin'. Reach me over the one of them, said you. I've naught bearin' the bit of ribbon, and the reapin' hook'll be nothin' to me at all. And in this way they plodded back to Lisconnel. Chapter Six, A Fairing. Up at Lisconnel, meanwhile, as the idle hours loitered by, Ody Rafferty's aunt grew tired of her solitary housekeeping, and late in the afternoon she made her way down as far as the Joyce's. Here a number of the neighbors were sitting about in almost the same place where Theresa had sustained the loss of her cherry-colored knot. But today there were no rough breezes stirring to bring about such disasters by their unmannerly pranks. The sun-steeped air was so still that the thick bushes stood as steady as the boulders, and even the rushes nodded slightly and stiffly. As the old woman hobbled down the slope, she saw Dennis O'Meara's scarlet uniform gleaming martially against a background of dark broom and hoary rock. Its wearer was, however, very peacefully employed in pulling the silky floss off the heads of the bog cotton, which lay in a great heap before him on a flat-topped boulder, with a big bunch of many-hued wild flowers beside it. Theresa Joyce, who sat opposite him, was pulling bog cotton too, though less diligently, for it might have been noticed that she often looked off her work and toward the scrap of road that lay within her ken. Joe Egan was at his cousin's elbow, and a few other lads and lasses made a rough circle. But old Mrs. Joyce and old Mrs. Ryan and old Paddy Ryan and old Felix O'Byrne had established themselves on a low grassy bank at a little distance. It was kept so closely cropped by Ryan's goat that its dandelions grew dwarfed and stalkless, and were set flat on the fine sward like mock suns. All this day the real sun had shone on it so strongly that the air was aromatic with the odor of its dim-blossomed herbs, and to touch it was like laying your hand on the warm side of some sleek-coated beast. Old Paddy said you might think you were sitting on the back of an old cow, but his wife rejoined that you'd have to go far enough from Lisconnel, worse luck, before you get the chance of doing such a thing. And she shook her head over the reflection so regretfully that a matter-of-fact person might have inferred her to have been formerly much in the habit of enjoying seats on the backs of cows. These elders, from where they sat, commanded a comprehensive view of the crops of Lisconnel, its potatoes and oats, green and gold, meshed in their grey stone fences, and flecked with obstructive boulders and laboured cairns. In the middle of Ryan's neighbouring field there is a block of quartzite, as big as a small turf sack, which gleamed exceedingly white from amongst the deep muffling greenery of potato plants. Mrs. Joyce had been praising their thriving aspect to old Paddy, who, however, was disposed to express a gloomy view of them. "'It's too rank there, growin' altogether,' he said. "'Ne'er a big crop you'll ever get under that height of holmes, heavy thatchin' and light liftin', as the sayin' is.' To Felix O'Byrne, the smooth, leafy surface recalled a far-off incident of the war, when the dense foliage of a certain potato-field had permitted the execution of a curious military manoeuvre. It was one of old O'Byrne's favourite stories, and he often related it at full length, but to-day it was cut short by the arrival of Ody Rafferty's aunt, whom Mrs. Joyce and Mrs. Ryan were prompt to greet, making room for her between them 
on the bank with an alacrity which somehow conveyed an impression of uneasiness lest she should establish herself elsewhere and what at all is theresa busy with over yonder and young o'meara is it bogberries they're after pullin mrs joyce said no ma'am it isn't bogberries and left further explanations to mrs ryan with the air of one who refrains from self-glorification but accounts upon its being done for her more gracefully by deputy sure wasn't he out on the bog the length of the day since early this morning he and little joe gatherin her the bog cotton said mrs ryan the full of a potato creel he brought her they have it there in a heap twas because he heard her sayin last night she wished she had a good bit of it to stuff the pillow she's makin put in mrs joyce off he went after it the first thing this mornin whither now is that the way of the wind said otty rafferty's aunt with a pleased smile striking out unfamiliar paths among her wrinkles troth but i'm real glad to hear it bedad it's a grand thing for little theresa he's a very dacent poor lad mrs joyce said looking over with pride at the handsome young sergeant and thinking that otty rafferty's aunt must have some good nature in her after all since she was so evidently glad of their good luck deed but there's not a finer young man in the kingdom of connaught this day said mrs ryan who could of course be frankly laudatory and with everybody's good word high and low and drawn grand pay and the colonel in his regiment ready to do a turn for him any time and a real steady kind-hearted lad to the back of that but sure he's after as nice a little girl as he had found anywheres with all his travellin and as good as gold he'll be very apt to be speakin out to her presently for it's gettin near his leave's end and what for would they be waitin but to my mind it's as good as made up after what he's done to-day in a little while after this oddy rafferty's aunt slipped away and set off hobbling along the road toward duffclane she wanted to intercept her grand-nephew on his way home and tell him this news for all day she had been haunted by an apprehension that otty meant to return with a fairing for theresa the presentation of which might bring about a crisis in his courtship very disastrous from her own point of view old moggy surveyed her world rather steadily at all times from that particular outlook finding in her solitary superfluousness little to deflect her gaze the disappointment which on her own theory these tidings would bring to oddy did not do so now and she put her best foot foremost animated by the pleasure of telling some new thing one moreover that threw a reassuring light upon her situation with even her amended opinion of the lad she could hardly imagine that he would have a chance against magnificent dennis o'meara whom nobody would have ever expected to look for a wife in poor little lisconnel but you never could tell and she felt that it still behooved her to be on her guard against all possible perils therefore she at present thought it expedient to waylay oddy and let him know that if he had any notion of theresa joyce he was a day after the fair hobbling on bent and breathless wrapped in her rusty black shawl with her shadow flitting far out over the level bog amid the slanted beams she looked a not inappropriate messenger of woe symbolically impotent and insignificant a little dark speck in the wide westering light a feeble stir of life creeping on the verge of a vast silent solitude and full withal of baseless fears and futile plots concerning the withered shred of existence that remained to her she was just in the nick of time she said to herself when she saw the trio presently come up over the top of the hill oddy was pointing out conciliatingly to the morose rory how they'd be at home now nearly in the time he'd be waggin his tail 
and Hugh McInerney was resolving that he would go on straight to his own place and defer the presentation of the ugly yellow ribbon until tomorrow. All three were hot and fagged and dusty. "'Well, lad, and what's the best news with you?' Oddie's aunt said to him as they met. "'Little enough,' said Oddie. "'And you coming out of a fair,' she said, "'be dad now. We make a better offer at it ourselves up here for the matter of news.' "'What's that at all?' said Oddie. "'Sure am it I just after hearing tell of a grand wedding there's going to be presently,' said his aunt. "'And that doesn't happen every day of the year.' "'Och, a wedding,' said Oddie. "'I was thinking maybe there was something queer at our little place beyond yonder. "'But as long as it's nothing worse than weddings you're hearing tell of, "'I'm content if you listened the two ears off your head. "'It's Dennis O'Meara and Theresa Joyce has made a match of it,' said his aunt, "'conscious that she was slightly overstating facts. "'Settled up it is only this evening.' and the wedding's bound to be before his leaves out so there's for you sure good luck to the both of them said oddie theresa joyce is a pleasant little being i'll say that for her and devil a bit of harm there is in omira either a fine chap he is for a soldier not that there any great things as far as i can see just police a trifle smartened up Otty's thoughts were for the moment running on the police, a couple of whom he had lately espied at a short distance coming across the bog. Well, if you wanted to see the two of them, said his aunt, raising her voice as he began to drive Rory on, there they are, just at the back of her place, sorting the stuff he's after getting her on the bog. He brought her the full of a potato creel. Her mother's as pleased over it as anything, and sat up to eyes, she bedad. The old woman was, for the time being, almost as much disappointed as relieved by the equanimity with which Otty had received her tidings. Yet if she had but known, they had not failed to produce a strong sensation. Only she never thought of considering how they might affect that queer big gawk, Hugh McInerney. What did occur to her in this connection, as he began to trudge alongside her after the pony, was that he was as ugly as if he had been bespoke, for Hugh's long tramp under the sultry sun had scorched him a deeper and more uniform red brick than usual, and his shock of tow-coloured hair jutting from beneath an unnoticeable round cap looked more than ever like thatch over his blinking blue eyes. When they had gone a few yards in silence, he suddenly said musingly, "'I don't know why he wouldn't have as good a right to be bringing her anything she had a fancy for off the bog in a potato creel as me to be buying her lengths of hideous coloured ribbons to make a show of herself wit. But all the same, I'd as lief he let it alone. For some reason or other, I've a wish in me mind I was slinging the whole of it into one of them bog-holes out there. That'd be no thing to go to on her. And that was a queer story the old woman had about them getting married. Somebody was apt to be making a fool of her. Who was it would be telling her, I wonder? But old Moggy partly overheard and said, And them that knew what they was talking about, supposing it's any affair of yours. So he did the rest of his meditating inaudibly. He said to himself that he was stepping home straight, continuing the while to walk in quite the opposite direction, and that he wouldn't be going to the Joyce's place to-night at all. What'd bring him there, and it getting so late? But, of course, he went there as surely as a swimming bubble goes over the cataract's smooth lip, or a fascinated little bird down the snake's throat. For the sensation which he had begun to experience, and which was a strong one and strange to him, was nothing less than jealousy. He was jealous of that potato creel. When he came to the place Oddie's aunt had told of, he found a group of young Joyce's and Ryan's and others gathered among the boulders and bushes in a circle of which the heap of bog cotton formed the centre. 
and a glance having showed him that it included dennis and teresa he sat down facing them and said to himself if i'd a known now it was bog cotton she was wantin i could have been gatherin her plenty last night after i come home there's a grand big moon these times wid lashins and lavins of light to be gettin them kind of glimmerin things by i seen a black place below between the thrain of water and roadside all waved over white wid it like as if it was a fall of snow tryin could it flutter off away wid itself again out of the world i'd have gotten her enough to fill a six-foot sack what for didn't the creature tell me pursuing these and other such reflections use attentions which at other times had a long tether strayed far afield he did not hear dennis o'meara inquire of him twice whether Audy rafferty had got his fine price for the old pony not yet peter ryan rejoined after an interval that he supposed it was such a big one anyway you mcinerney couldn't get it out of his mouth that was sizable enough no doubt it was this symptom of absent-mindedness that emboldened thady joyce to set about twitching out of hugh's pocket the flimsy paper parcel seen protruding from it a feat which he achieved undetected while his surrounding accomplices nudged one another and whispered och he has it now woo he'll do it that he conveyed that he had filched to molly and nelly ryan who manipulated it for some time amid much giggling and then nelly with dexterous audacity pinned their handiwork on to the cap of her neighbour dennis o'meara who sat all unawares thus it came to pass that when hugh was at last roused to a vague sense of tittering all around him which reached him much as the clacking chirp of sparrows gets meaninglessly into our frayed morning dreams and looking up out of his reverie stared about him for an explanation the first thing his eyes lit on was dennis's smart cap surmounted by a mass of gaudy yellow ribbon in immense bows and loops and streamers flapping and waggling absurdly at every movement made by their unsuspecting wearer and the spectacle caught his breath and dazzled his sight with a sudden scorching blast of wrath for it seemed to him that dennis was not making merely a mock of him and his fairing which he thought intrinsically of small amount but through it of teresa herself and her foolish little fancies and there sat teresa looking on with a quick pink flush and shining eyes and a quiver about her mouth the next moment you had hurled at the bedizened cap that he happened to be holding in his hand and this was paddy ryan's new reaping hook thereupon followed a terrible confusion and clamour which seemed to fill at a sweep all the spacious drowsy light of the sun setting for the missile had gone surely to its mark and had not simply knocked off dennis's cap but made a shocking gash in his temple so that there was only two sufficient reasons for the rising shrieks of holy virgin he's murdered he's kilt amid all the turmoil with dennis fallen on the ground and you standing staring and everybody else rushing through other like crows in a storm one person alone appeared to act with a definite purpose and that was little joe egan the event had made him like one possessed with rage and despair to joe weakly and timorous and not overwise his valiant handsome good-natured soldier cousin had come as the most splendid apparition that had shined upon him in the dim course of his fifteen years and he had spent the past three months in adoring it devoutly so that now to see him laid low suddenly in this savage fashion was a sight that might well cause a burning thirst for vengeance upon the miscreant who had dealt the stroke joe generally had to get his revenges wreaked by deputy and now as he darted away his intention was to find the police somewhere and bring them to take up the great beastie murderin' devil hugh mcinerney and if by any means possible get him hung 
he attained his object sooner than might have been expected as not far down the road a pair of constables were run into by a small tatterdemalion figure who choking and stammering and writhing in an ague fit of fury proceeded to inform them that big hugh mcinerney was just after murderin dennis o'meara up above there taking the head off him with a rapin hook and further that if they looked in the dirty thief's little place at the foot of the hill they'd find that every other stone in the walls of it was nothing else but a crock of poteen this was the cause of the police's prompt arrival on the scene when nobody resented joe's action dennis's injury though so grave happily did not seem to be mortal in fact on this occasion young Danoburn, albeit scarcely more than a spalpeen displayed a handiness and resource about bandaging and other remedies which foreshadowed his future reputation throughout the district for knowledgeableness in surgery and medicine hugh mcinerney was of course at what is arrested without any resistance on his part or any sympathy from the indignant neighbours he appeared to be what old will sheridan termed fallen into serious consternation and was heard to make only one remark it was when people were saying that theresa joyce had took a weakness and her brothers had carried her indoors och the creature he said and it might easy have hit her very easy meself's the queer divil once the police and their prisoner had gone dennis having been brought into the ryan's house a deep and melancholy hush settled down upon lisconnel as if a murky wing had flapped out its brief flare of excitement the whole thing had happened so quickly that the rich light from the west was still bronzing the edges of the flat-ledged firs boughs and rosing their white stems when the little hollow behind the joyce's house rested quiet and deserted with no traces left of the company lately there assembled except a litter of silky white bog cotton tufts soon to be swept away by the breeze and the unchancy yellow ribbon which had been torn out of dennis's cap and lay coiling among the rough grass whence as the dusk thickened it glinted like the wraith of a lost sunbeam or a ray from an evil star but that night fell very dark with the moon so closely veiled that the flaggers and bulrushes waving their swords and spears fast by dwindled into mere rustlings and murmurs the air was full of them at the dimmest hour anybody who had stolen out of a neighbouring door and passed between the faintly glimmering white boulders as if in search of something lost there might have seemed only one of the whispering shadows and these might have begun to say sorra aught can i do at all at all and ne'er a soul is there to speak a word all of them begin him and it no fault of his when he would be tormented that way they'd no call to go play such a trick on him and it didn't mean it a purpose i very well know but the other chap was intendin to annoy him sittin there with a great ugly grin on his face i wish he'd never come next or nigh lisconnel but be that as it may when the next morning's light twinkled among the dewy blades the yellow ribbon had disappeared after this the days seemed to drag heavily at lisconnel where a dullness and flatness had come over society dr hamilton had carried off dennis o'meara to ballybrosna and there was nothing to fill up the blank he left except speculations about his chances of recovery and censures upon hugh mcinerney monotonously unanimous in his favour indeed no one seemingly had a word to say people declared that they'd never have thought he'd take and do such a thing for though he might have been a queer sort of bastoon he was always decent and peaceable but cancelled praise is the bitterest of blame and they added that it was real outrageous of him to go do murder on the likes of dennis o'meara and no credit to lisconnel for it to be happening him there illian characters it'd be given them if it went back to the regiment with his eyes slashed out of his head as much as to say he hadn't a fair chance among us unless he'd come with his side-arms 
the neighbours were of opinion too that it was no wonder little theresa joyce had got a bit moped and quiet after her sweetheart bein as good as destroyed before her eyes and it hard to say if she'd ever see a sight of him again it was a misfortunate thing mrs conryan remarked one day when the subject was under discussion that young o'meara hadn't actually spoke out before it happened him twould have made her a deal easier in her mind now i wouldn't wonder because the way the matter stands he might take up wid some different notion and just be off with himself like a cloud blown out of the sky and she couldn't be saying a word if she was ever so sure of what he was intendin young mrs kehoe to whom she made the observation refused to entertain this view and replied sorra a fear is there of that it was easy to see he had gone to the well of the world's end after her let alone steppin up from the town if he spared to get his health ay he'll be comin back for her one of these fine days sure enough please god but the fulfilment of her confident prediction looked several degrees more doubtful in the light of one of the two pieces of news which mrs carbury accompanied by her daughter rose conveyed to the joyces on a bright september morning a short while after her son had come home with it from the town too late the night before one of them was hugh mcinerney who had been awaiting the assizes in one alone jail had died of the fever there on last friday there was nothing very surprising in this event as hugh's open-air life could have but ill acclimatized him to the atmosphere of the unclean little jail and it was not likely to be very deeply deplored at lisconnel where he had not been known long nor as we have seen much to his advantage as mrs carbury sat in the three-cornered armchair with the sun dazzle off a burnished mug on the dresser shimmering into her eyes and making her blink quaintly she said with rather severe solemnity that she hoped the young fellow had had time to repint of his sins or else it was very apt to be a bad lookout for him and he after comin within a shaven of takin another man's life no time at all ago so to speak near a chance but it would be clear in everybody's recollection mrs joyce however said ah sure maybe the creature wasn't intendin any such great harm all the while god be good to him and anyway where he's gone he'll find plenty ready to be speakin up for him and puttin the best face they can on the matter ay will he said old biddy ryan who was calling too and bedad it's one great differ there is be all accounts between that place and this for here if a misfortunate body does aught amiss the first notion the rest of us have god forgive us is to be axin what worser he was meanin like as if it was some manner of riddle that there's bound to be an answer to if one could find it deed and i dunno if they haven't very far to look ma'am said mrs carbury with dignity when a chap does his endeavours to take the head off another man with a reapin hook ma'am and i dunno ma'am for that matter said old biddy also with dignity if it's any such a great deal better to have one's mind took up wid inventin other people's bad intentions than if it was wid one's own ah well i wouldn't be thinkin too bad of poor hugh mcinerney at any event said mrs joyce twas maybe a sort of accident for he seemed a decent creature afore that och now to think it's only a few odd weeks since he was creepin about over our heads up there mendin the old thatch you'd whiles hear him hummin away talkin to himself like some sort of big bee and in his grave to-day but isn't it a lucky thing that he's leavin nobody belongin to him to be breakin their hearts frettin after him theresa dear child you're ne'er a stim of light to be workin in sittin there in the corner but theresa said she had light enough to blind her and was only windin a skein and could see better to do that in the dark so mrs carbury passed on to her second piece of news which though less tragical than the first was not likely to sound very cheerfully in the ears of some among her audience it ran that her son ned was after seeing dennis o'meara down beyant 
and that he was doing finely next door to himself again and that the people in the town did be sayin he was courtin mary ann nelligan the people's daughter that he was lodgin wit a terrible fortin she was said to have and that he'd be very apt to be takin her along wid him presently when his leave was up mrs carbery supposed there were none of them very likely to see him again up at lisconnel and the rest of the neighbours having heard her tale supposed so likewise and said among themselves that theresa joyce was to be pitied yet not many days after this while the early autumn weather was still soft-aired and mellow-lighted over our blue-misted bogland where the leaves and berries were brightening and even the little frosty grey cups on the lichened boulders getting a scarlet thread on the rim on one clear dew-dashed morning who but denis o'meara himself should come stepping into lisconnel the neighbours who saw him go by were glad to notice that he looked as well as ever he did in his life and he greeted them all blithely though briefly eluding every attempt to entangle him in conversation and making very straight for widow joyce's house which was by these same observers considered to betoken a healthy frame of mind only mrs joyce and mrs kilfoyle were in the little brown room when he arrived but they gave him a cordial welcome and he took a seat from which he could keep a watch on the door while they talked about different things one of these naturally was the melancholy end of dennis's assistant poor hugh mcinerney and mrs joyce said it was little enough they'd have thought a while ago that it would be dennis who'd come back but indeed she said if anything had took you we'd a been in no hurry ever to set eyes on the other unlucky bastoon dennis said faith ma'am i'd give six months pay the thing had never happened divil a bit of harm i believe there was in poor mcinerney and i spoke to dr hamilton to speak to mr nugent and the other magistrates for him but they said after what me cousin joe let out about the poteen at his place the police would be wishful to keep him convenient to them for a while and to be sure they kept him too long altogether i know ma'am young rafferty and the rest had his shanty pulled down before the police come up next day but they thought they'd get something out of him the little jackass ought to have held his tongue it was a pity bedad hard times it is on a man to be losing his life you may say along wid his temper just be reason of a bit of a joke still as he looked out into the sunshine he could not help thinking that he would have had a greater loss of life had poor hugh mcinerney who it was evident would always have met with a cold reception from everybody at the joyce's then he said to mrs joyce and how's theresa ma'am mrs joyce was in the middle of replying that she was grandly and had just run over to mrs keogh's on a message when theresa herself came in dennis jumped up quickly saying ah theresa it's a great while since i've seen you but theresa only lifted her head without turning it and walked straight as if nobody had accosted her hurrah now theresa darlin don't you see dennis o'meara said her mother puzzled and rather dismayed and then theresa did turn and look at him yes i see him she said and indeed she might as easily have overlooked the red flame in a lantern as the tall scarlet lancer in her mother's little misty cornered room i see him she said and i hate the sight of him and thereupon she turned again and walked out of the door leaving a dead silence behind her this was one of the very few harsh sayings that theresa joyce has uttered in the course of her long life and it came like a shock upon her hearers mrs joyce at last said blankly what at all has took the child and bessie kilfoyle said to dennis who stood dumbfounded but indeed now you may be sure there's not a many up here at any rate who do that but he replied if she does it's many enough for me mrs kilfoyle and i won't stop here to be driving her out of the house so i'll say good-bye to yous kindly for i'll be off to dublin to-morrow or next day and in course mrs joyce remarked ruefully after he had departed 
retreading his steps through the bright fresh morning with so crestfallen a mien that all the neighbors knew things had not run smoothly you couldn't reasonably expect him to stay here to be hated the sight of and indeed what with one thing and another it's it's none too good treatment the poor lads got up at lisconnel more's the pity theresa herself never had any explanation to offer of why she would be that cross with poor dennis o'meara her mother accounted for it by pique at the carberry's ill-timed gossip about his imaginary courtship of mary ann nelligan and mrs kilfoyle was for a while inclined to the same opinion until one day by chance she espied in the little old tin box which contained theresa's treasures a roll of bright yellow ribbon wrapped up very carefully and thenceforward she silently ceased to hope that things might all come right yet if dennis o'meara came back again on leave so although mrs joyce may have drawn wrong inferences the results were much as she had foreseen theresa never married and when her mother died she went to live with her brother mick at laragmena where she is still living still notwithstanding that it is so long since all this happened since the fine summer when dennis o'meara was at lisconnel a you mcinerney who luckily left nobody to be breaking their hearts frettin' after him died in moynalone jail the yellow ribbon lies safely in her box and with it a grimy bit of paper brought to her one day by a trusty hand to which you found out a way of committing it before he was took bad entirely theresa herself has never deciphered its wild scrawls being an unlettered person but its bearer read it over to her until she knew it by heart every word for your own self the yellow ribbon is the letter ran but don't be wearing it unless you like it and i'm sorry the man got hit but i do be dreamin most nights that it's you i'm after reapin the little head off of and i'd liefer lose my life than think i'd be after hurtin a hair of it but the devil was busy with me that evenin and i'm very apt never to get the chance to set foot again out on the big bog it'd do me heart good to see the sun goin down in it a great way off for this is a queer small place it's a long while but sure to the end of all the days of me life it said to her like an echo beaten back from the walls of the great abysm it's of yourself i'll be thinking off away in contentment at lisconnel end of section four